Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Our next investor conference is coming up. The Planet Microcap Showcase Vancouver on September 6th and 7th, 2023 at the Fairmont Waterfront. We have companies, sponsors, speakers, all that is up on the website at planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Those speakers include Dave Barr from Pender Fund, Harold Leishman and Brent Todd from Canaccord. Ryan Irvin from Keystone Financial, Hamid Shabazi from Well Health Technologies, and Paul Andriola from Small Cap Discoveries. Be sure to check out the website to learn more about the entire event. And it's not too late to register and attend. So once again, go to planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vancouver. My guest on the show today is Jonathan Boyer, president of Boyer Research. I recently saw Jonathan as a guest on the Value After Hours podcast with Tobias Carlisle and Jake Taylor and invited him on to get his perspective on the markets in 2023, as well as his take on microcap performance. As the title states, we've been experiencing a double whammy in microcaps, poor stock performance over the last two years, and allocators are not distributing funds to microcap strategists for, for the most part. We talk at length about why this environment is fertile ground for microcap investors that know what they're doing. Jonathan and I also talk about his latest venture, the Boyer Research Substack, where you can actually get Jonathan's latest microcap picks as a subscriber. The link to the Boyer Research Substack is in the show notes. So thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Jonathan Boyer. Jonathan Thank you for joining me today. How you doing, man? Yeah, thanks for having me on, on the show. It's so excited. Absolutely. I mean, look, we were we already like we had just met, but we were already kibitzing like we've known each other for years <laughs> before we started recording. I was like, wait a second, we gotta we gotta hold hold the phone here and uh, we, we got so much to, to get into. Just I figured today for our pod, like we cover a ton of stuff. Like you've done some great stuff recently on other pods and like value after hours. I was just listening to that before we got on here. And also I think you did something on Yahoo Finance. So figured we'd kind of do an amalgamation of some of the things you hit on there and maybe some new stuff as well. So sound good? Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right, let's do it. So uh, let's start off with this, right? Because I mean, this wouldn't be a finance podcast if we didn't get your, you know, 
overview on the state of the markets, right? You know, summer breaks basically over. People heading heading back to the office, preparing for the final third of the year. You know, what what are you seeing as we head into the back half of the year here? Yeah, well, hopefully the summer's not. You still have a couple of good weeks uh, of weather, but yeah, no, I, I get. I, California, we always get we always get good weather. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, listen, I think this year is a case in point where listening to strategists would have gotten you into so much trouble. You know, coming into the year, everyone was all doom and gloom. You know, everyone was unbelievably bearish. And if you listen to the so-called smart money, you would have missed out on a monster rally. And I think it's it's the textbook example of just stay the course, invest in good companies, and generally over a long period of time, good things will happen. So what's going to happen over the second half of the year? I have absolutely no idea. Um, but you know, the market at 18, 19 times earnings, it's not cheap. It's not expensive. But I don't invest in markets. I invest in stocks. Uh, to me, the cheapest area of the market by far is the micro and small part. I mean, that's almost undeniable and the best opportunity. But you have to be really, really careful. Is there's a lot of minefields out of there. About 45% of the Russell 2000 consists of unprofitable companies. But the the opportunity there is is enormous. I mean, I think if the Russell is about 20% above where it was five years ago, um, compared to the Hasdaq 100, which has just been ripped higher. Um, stocks in it are cheap and no one cares about it. So to me, that's where the opportunity is, but you have to be patient. A hundred percent. And like we, that was literally the one thing we were just talking about offline because, I mean, there has been, I can't tell you how many companies I've already talked to or interviewed over the last few months that have just been killing it, you know, or maybe just reported their first profitable quarter. I mean, it's micro, right? So it might still be their first profitable quarter, you know, and just no one cares. Absolutely nothing. And the one thing that I talk with other, you know, fund managers that specifically have a micro cap strategy is that we keep the, you know, it's a, it's an interesting conversation, but it's also testing a lot of folks' patience is, all right, what will what will change here? You know, when will when will not necessarily risk on come back, but when when are people going to start to actually pay attention that half these companies are have taken such a big haircut and yet they're performing and actually start to care about that again? I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Well, it's really it's staying power, and one of the things you know, I was fortunate. You know, my uh, one of my favorite podcast guests ever was. Ken Langone, the founder of Home Depot. And he was fantastic for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is he was talking about why he was so successful. And that was because he had staying power. You know, once he hit a certain amount of wealth, he didn't need to dip into his savings to you know, pay bills or, or, or whatnot. And he was able to just buy great companies and hold them for unbelievably long periods of time. Yeah, I could be wrong, I think, uh, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. His his biggest holding right now is not actually Home Depot. It's Eli Lilly because he sold a company to it in, in uh, I think, the late 70s. And he's, you know, hasn't really sold much except probably gave away to charity. And just being able to have that staying power over time and to stick with a strategy that works and don't abandon it because it's not working, um, you know, 
just because something hasn't gone up doesn't mean it's not working. You have to reevaluate your thesis, obviously, and you have to be very humble and admit to know when you're wrong. Um, but just because the stock price hasn't reacted doesn't mean your thesis is wrong. Right. But and, and but to and to add to that though, you know, also especially from an institutional side, from a fund side, I mean, we're it, the hard part is in talking with some of these firms is that you're not even seeing allocations going towards these strategies where like every book in the world will say, hey, if something's hated, at a minimum, take a look at it. When the sentiment is so negative in small micro and you're just not seeing any inflows, it just it it blows your mind, you know, it's just just human nature just has a way of just always repeating itself. Well, I think with micro, you have a, it's a double, it's a double whammy. One, it hasn't done well. And two, people perceive it as risky. So they want any excuse not to, to invest in that. And this is a perfect excuse. You know, no one's, no allocator is going to get fired for not investing in micro caps. Thousand percent. And that creates, that what creates the opportunity, but Going back to the the patients, uh, most people don't have it, and um, I'm confident though that you know five or ten years from now, you know a good portfolio of microcap stocks will do quite well. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to touch on one of your. Uh, I, I think it's called the microcap funds as part of the uh, your research product with within the Boyer Values Substack. Right? Am I getting that correct? Well, we have, you know, I guess to take a quick step back, we, yeah. you know, we've been an institutional research provider since 1975. The, the firm was started by my dad, uh, Mark, uh, primarily to serve hedge funds, mutual funds, you know, family offices, that, that sort of thing. And we've never really served the, you know, financial advisor, high net worth in, investor. So a couple of months ago, we launched a Substack. Um, to do that, we have, you know, free articles and then a paid tier where, you know, we give them one stock idea a month, uh, which we think is, is really cool. And one of the things that I was thinking of adding on to the Substack is about 10 years ago, we, we launched something called Boyer, Boyer's Microcap Focus, which same quality as our institutional product, but just on the smallest companies out there. And it was super unique. But uh, it, it was a, and it, it did really well in terms of the stock picks, but no one cared um, because people don't invest in that strategy. So what I think I'm going to do in the coming months is migrate that also coming onto our uh, uh, the Boyer Research Substack product. So, you know, it's you know, trying to create as, uh, you know, a few high quality products out there. For sure. Well, I mean, look, with uh, listen, this podcast is not giving a, about giving your hottest picks or anything like that. But, you know, in speaking of of this new focus or, or this new offering that you're going to have within the Boyer, the Boyer Value uh, Substack, you know, tell maybe is there a little sneak preview or something that folks can kind of, you know, I guess, uh, look forward to if they were to subscribe to the to the microcap focus? Well, listen. There's a lot of opportunities in that name in that area. We, you know, we recently did uh, a report on a company called Franklin Covey, which uh, is uh, yep, which is a really interesting, sleepy little company based in uh, Salt Lake City that's not particularly well covered. It's misunderstood, and you know, names like that that just not are not on Wall Street's radar or something called like a Town Square Media TSQ, which is a well-run legacy radio business. Um, that is now turning into a digital kind of first company uh, run by a guy named uh, Bill Wilson, who, who's done a really good job 
Um, so there's names like that are off the beaten path. You know, some of them, like something like Town Square, people still think it's a radio business where, you know, majority of the, of the EBITDA is, you know, digital and subscription based and they're not in the top 50 radio markets to begin with. So you don't have to really worry about competition. It's, those are the types of names that we will look at. And it's amazing, you know, looking back through the years, you know, we did like Martha Stewart uh, a long time ago when, you know, it was a tiny company. It was three, four hundred million dollars, or, or you know, some of these names. They're just, just small, and you can find great, you know, great opportunities. You know, we just uh, recently did a company, Douglas Dynamic, um, uh, ticker Plow. That's uh, another uh, interesting one, and um, you know, that's actually on our Substack kind of behind the paywall. Uh, but basically, it's a snowplow company, and uh, just because. Just because of the winners we've had, uh, the stock's been depressed. But you know, uh, I think you know it's a, it's a well-run business with a solid balance sheet um, that we think will do well over the years. Absolutely. So, and just to be clear, from a compliance perspective, TSQ, FC, Plow, are you? Uh, I'm assuming you guys are shareholders of, of these things. Uh, that uh, we're, we I, we own Town Square and we own um, uh, uh, Franklin Covey. Got it. Okay, so not shareholders in Plow. Uh, not not yet. Very cool. All right. Well, you know, it's funny you bring up Town Square. Like, I, I'm not a shareholder, but that's come up on my screen actually for the last. Uh, we run an index here, Planet Microcap Index, and I think they've been in there for the last two quarters, or either either two two of the last three uh, rebalances that we've done. We rebalance on a quarterly basis, so that's one that's been. I've been trying to get that CEO on my due diligence series forever. Oh, maybe you can help me out with that at some point. <laughs> I might be able to, I might be, he's really trying aggressively to get the word out in, in a non-promotional way. He's a, a really, he's done a good job, trans, really good job transforming the business. So I, I'm sorry, I'm happy to, to make the introduction. What's interesting is they also, they've been opportunists and we, we like good cap. Obviously you make the most money either from really good capital allocators or really bad capital allocators. Because bad capital allocators give you the, uh, you know the opportunity to get things cheap, but you know, for example, Madison Square Garden is uh, was a large shareholder. I think it was in the entertainment uh, of Town Square, and they opportunistically bought back a large part of their shares from them. So they, they do smart things. They also instituted a dividend, and it's now an eight or nine percent yield because no one cares about the stock. And normally, you get scared when you see eight or 9% yields on companies, but this one we view as relatively safe. They're delevering, et cetera. But they're, uh, he's, a, he's a good capital allocator. Very good. So, you know, another thing I'd love to ask you about this when, when thinking about the microcap focus and why folks should want to subscribe to this, this we're microcap podcast. So I, you, you knew I was probably going to be like, hey, this is the main thing that folks should be uh, digging their heels into. But, you know, you've alluded a little bit to what some of your criteria is, some of the things that you look for, especially when using those three as an examples. But maybe for given a holistic look here, what, what are some of your criteria when you're looking at various companies to highlight in this microcap focus piece? It's really the same as for our regular, what we look for. It's using the same methodology. The only difference would be we like, for the most part, to have large insider ownership. Um, 
in a uh, microcap name just because you know, you're more apt to have frauds or, or things such as such as that. So you, you you like to see you know the alignment of of interest there. That that would probably be the the main difference. But you know just to backtrack, how how do we find companies or how do we look for companies? You know we have a we take what we call a business person's approach to stock market investing. Essentially, we look at every company through the lens of an acquirer. What would Warren Buffett pay for the entire business? And that's the framework we do, and that's healthy to do on a town square media where you can do kind of a sum of the part valuation there um, and see what each business line is worth. And it's also healthy uh, if you do a, a large company like Home Depot. Uh, it's good just to to do that exercise to make sure that you're buying it at a, a significant discount to, to intrinsic value. Um, we also are very catalyst focused. You know, what's gonna make the stock ascend in value over a reasonable period of time, you know, could the company be sold, which is often the case in, in microcap land? Uh, could they spin out a division? Could they sell a division? Um, you know, could they announce, uh, you know, large buyback? You know, lots of, there's lots of different things that we we look for um, when, when doing that. And then we have a framework when we analyze companies, you know, we look for hidden assets. Is there an asset on the company's balance sheet that's not properly reflected because of gap accounting? So it's, you know, there's, there's lots of things to do. Very good. Yeah. The, the, look at the, the main stuff that I think most folks that it resonates with, with uh, that, that are probably listeners here. So, you know, another question I, I had for you, not to jump around so much, but, you know, in hitting on some of the things that you answered earlier that, you know, I, we're a family business here, plan a microcap, you know, Boyer, you guys have family businesses. I, I think you said 1975. So, you know, you said your father started it. Love, love to hear some thoughts on things that you learned from coming up in the business with your dad. Like I, I got those stories for days. So I, I love hearing them from, from other folks too. Yeah. I mean, when it works well, which is in our case where it's worked well, it's worked well. It's fantastic. Obviously there's horror stories too. And we have, uh, you know, fortunately a, uh, a great relationship and I've learned a ton from him and, uh, it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to work with, with your family. Um, and yeah, I grew, this is not a job for me. I mean, I, I grew up doing this, like I, this is how I view everything through like kind of a business angle. And, um, it just comes, it comes naturally to me because this, these were the conversations we had around the dinner table where I'd hear all these stories which now I'm telling, uh, which is kind of funny. Like I used to, growing up, I used to hear, you know, my dad, one of my dad's first big successes was company Tiffany, uh, 1975. It was probably like the sixth or seventh company he ever profiled. You could have bought the whole company for $30 million. So it was a, a micro cap, uh, you know, then. Uh, and the building it owned on 57th Street um, was worth more than the entire market cap of the company, but because of gap accounting, you know, that was not, you know, uh, easily discoverable, especially in the 1970s where the, the biggest, uh, you know, competitive advantage you have is like a calculator. Uh, you, there's no you know, real screens to run. Um, so you, you hear, you hear these stories, um, and it, you know, learning from history is, is extremely important. A hundred percent. Yeah. I can all, you know, you mentioned, you know, it, we're fortunate too, that we got, we got the good report, but there's definitely those 
you get those battles, man. That's for sure. And it's, and it's okay. Cause you're like, all right, this is with family. You know, you can't, you can't have those kind of, those battles don't work when uh, you're not working with, you know, your dad or, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, but yeah, no, so I, I love that aspect of a business. Like if you're able to have a family business and have that dynamic and be able to carry it on to the next generation and that kind of thing. Um, so again, not to jump around a whole bunch here, but you know, we were, we alluded to, um, the talking about patience as an investor, especially, you know, at the top there, when we talk about the state of the markets and you, uh, at, at Boyer, uh, uh, research on Substack, you guys put out this article, uh, you make more money sitting on your ass, uh, which is a great title. And the one thing I wanted to, the, there's two points from this article I wanted to discuss. And I think you have this uh, visual here about the decline of long-term investing. And that is so appropriate, you know, especially since March, 2020 from the meme stock stuff, everything like it just that very much resonated with me, especially when you think about micro cap investing, you know, because most people come to me like, oh, like, you know, trading and that kind of stuff. But you do you kind of do that? It's like, no, not really. Like we try and have more of a long term approach where you're building, you know, create having a lot more wealth creation and really digging deep into these companies. So in your opinion, why do you feel like there is this decline of long term investing? It's just the next generation not listening. They're not. What's going on? I mean, I think there's a, a lot of factors. One, it's, you know, when my dad started the business in the 70s and we were a brokerage firm, you, they charged 30 cents a share or whatever it was for commission, which made you think twice about doing a trade. It's a great time to own a brokerage firm. <laughs> but um, it, I think that's part of it. I think it's also we're in a world of, you know, not to make too much of a societal comment, of, of instant gratification where everything's at the touch of a fingertip and a button. It's so easy to trade. It's free to, free to trade. People people are wired. I don't think people are wired to do nothing. They, they feel like they have to be doing something. And doing nothing is, is an action. And, um, the, you know, people always complain, you know, especially on the investment management side about fees and all that kind of stuff. But the biggest expense an investor pays, or at least in the US, uh, if they're taxable, is Uncle Sam. Every time you sell a stock, uh, you have to, you know, depending on your tax bracket, you, know, you, you have to, you, the value of your gain goes down by 25%. So you essentially have a 25% load um, on, on your profits. So that's a huge, in my mind, a huge bar to rejigger a portfolio. So you only really want to, you know, when I do a calculus of do I want to make a substitution on a position that has gain, I, I also have to think, is is this new idea 25% better? Um, and that's a high bar, bar to have. So I think, you know, patience is probably the most important part, you know, buying something at the right price, you know, at a reasonable to good price, and having the wherewithal to, to stick with it are probably the two most important parts of, of investing. A hundred percent. And I, I'm not sure what will change. I just, I, you look at some of these statistics and I, I just, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's great. We'll, yeah. For me, it's fantastic. And that, that makes it, that gives us the opportunity. Um, if everyone was, you know, you, I read a book on Jim Simons or Simmons or however, and at the end they said you know the, the one area that um, 
the quants really have not gone after is long-term investing because there's just no, you can't exploit that quantitatively. So when you have all these algorithms, you know, buying and selling stocks in milliseconds, if you can have the ability to look out three, four, five years, that's a distinct competitive advantage. And um, there's very few of us left. That's for sure. And this is where the the idea of patience uh, comes into play. You know, I mean, for you, what what have been some of the things that have helped you remain patient? You know, and actually practice that approach when you say, "Okay, I'm dug in. I like this idea. I'm I'm I want to own this for five, ten, fifteen years." You know, what are some of the things that you've been able to put into practice that have helped keep you? You know, all right, I'm stay stay calm. I don't have to do something right now. I think watching my dad growing up really helped because he is, you know, he's, you know, a, I'm not as patient as him. I'm trying, but he's unbelievably patient. And, and seeing that he was successful in doing that, and even though it hasn't worked as well recently, I know, you know, the, these things come in cycles. It gives me the confidence to be able to do that. And I think that's just kind of how I'm, you know, wired. And then I also I look at, you know, where have I personally made the most money? It's not been on trades, you know, that I held for six months. You know, some of some have been successful. It's been holding companies like Home Depot and, and Microsoft, which we've owned, you know, since the 2007, six or, or whatever. And just, you know, holding on through thick and thin, that, that's been the bulk of the game. So you, you just, that that's been the most helpful part of it, but you have to pick a style that you believe in and have the ability to, you know, that gives you the confidence to, to stay with it. Absolutely. All right. So I'm about to take a full 180 transition to another topic. Um, so I, I've, I think it was on the Yahoo finance interview that you recently did where you talked about, I think it was that one. It might've been one of the other ones where you talked about the merits of investing in publicly traded sports franchises and, you know, instead, rather than just talking specifically about sports franchises, this is something that's been coming up a lot. Like I listened to uh, the town podcast. Uh, it's a great, great show, very short, short episodes. And they've been talking a lot about, you know, the selling, you know, what should Disney do with ESPN? With, but really having to do with this one point that I've been wanting to talk about, I, I figured maybe we could bring it up here and see if you have some insight. It's having to do with this with sports rights. And the zag, I feel like, because everyone's just like, yeah, sports rights is just, they just keep going up and up. Like, at what point are they going to be overvalued when you think about, you know, because at some point, one of the, whether it's a streamer or, or one of these legacy media companies are just going to be like, I don't want to pay that price. We're not, you know, we don't have the cash to do that. Our business economics, it just makes no sense for us to keep paying these astronomical numbers. You know, what, what are your thoughts there? No, that's an excellent point, an excellent question. We started looking, I think it was 2012, 2013, we did a, a report on um, the value of, of sports media rights. And the two names that we did were Madison Square Garden and a company called ISCA, which was International Speedway, which you know owned race car tracks, you know. Um, so it's been something we've, we followed for, for quite some time. It, it, it's been, it, it's been helpful. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Zaslov at, at uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is someone who, you know, is, is price 
disciplined, uh, but although he knows he needs the NBA, et cetera, the leagues need linear TV as much as, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. I don't think it's healthy for the sports for everything to totally be over the top, uh, just on Amazon, just on Apple, et cetera. Um, and I think for the foreseeable future, and a lot of these sports rights are locked up for, for, for quite some, some time, um, you know, Amazon has a very different use case to get people on Prime than Warner Brothers Discovery. So I think it's going to be a mix. There's going to be some of these deals that where it's going to be on you know, uh, Amazon Prime or, or Apple TV, et cetera. And some will be on traditional, you know, media companies. Plus, uh, I wouldn't rule out at some point in time, traditional media, maybe when we get a different regulatory environment, some of these big media companies fold into an Apple or uh, Amazon or Google or, or whatnot. So this it's moving pieces. But in, in today's world where people don't there's no real you know you have dvrs etc live sports and news are unbelievably valuable and um you know this is also separate from the value of teams um which you know obviously have benefited from the sports media rights those those are just trophy assets i mean that's a completely different conversation in in, in many respects but it's you, you raise a, a really good point at, at some point you know uh, you know, behavior, you know, price, you know, changes things and the demand's not totally inelastic. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, look, I'm a huge sports fan. I watch everything, you know, and it, at a certain point, it just, it, it just, it, like when that conversation keeps coming up and you're thinking about these companies and you know they're losing money hand over fist and yet here's here's the leagues coming to them saying, Yeah, no, here's the price now. It's like, all right, we know you need us. We know you need the linear networks in order to keep the visibility up for the league. Like, why, why aren't you like, you got to come, you got to, you got to come to at some point. And, and, and it just does it hasn't really made a whole lot of sense. I mean, you're right. It's a little different than the sports franchise, but obviously they're the clear benefactors here where everybody and their mother wants to go and own a sports franchise. And I mean, pickleball. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, I, it's still, there's no dig at pickleball, of course. Like, I, I <laughs> it, it looks like a lot of fun, but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it, it blows my mind. No, no, some of these numbers and what they're floating for the NBA renewal coming coming up in a couple of years, they're they're insane numbers. But these are live audiences uh, that the broadcasters need um but yeah it's it's not you know at some point enough's enough because i mean the advertising is not that revenue is not what it was right you know so like at at the end of the day something's got to give um i mean i think i think that's most of the topics that i really wanted to cover here today i mean i guess to close this out i mean is there any final thoughts you know looking at micro small cap just markets in general anything in particular maybe you want to hit on here that we could uh Final thoughts? Um, no, the, the final thoughts are, I mean, I think really stick to a style that you're, you're comfortable with and in that, that you can, you know, invest in good times and bad times. And also, you know, your own personal asset allocation. You know, you don't want, you know, everyone, you know, uh, on the money, ma- if I put on my money manager hat, 
people, you know, or clients say, oh, they have huge risk tolerance. Everyone has a great risk tolerance till stocks go down. So you have to really uh, take, you know, careful of, you know, what your exposure is because you don't want to be someone who sells at the exact wrong moment. You don't want to be the person who realizes in March of 2020 that they have too much money in, in, in risk assets. And the other thing that's just worth at least mentioning or talking, talking about, you know, we're both young, young people and I, I don't think people our age really should have much in the way of fixed income. But the, for the first time, at least in my career, um, you know, stock, you know, money markets and, you know, short-term treasuries are, are legitimate, you know, source of competition for stocks. And that's going to change dynamics, you know, for the foreseeable future. I'm, I'm not someone who's going to opine on where, where interest rates are going to be. I have absolutely no idea, but it's something at least to take, uh, you know, in, into consideration. And if, if someone wants to, you know, know more, I, I, you know, be happy, you know, reach out to us or check out our Substack. Very cool. All right. So yeah, with that, where can our audience go and, follow you on social media and then what's the what's the substack what's the the it's just boyer research right yes yeah, boyer research at substack.com uh, and you can just follow us at boyer b-o-y-a-r value on twitter those are kind of where where um you know produce most or release most of our content and um this was great you know thank you so much for having me on the show absolutely it's great to have you thank you again good luck stay safe and i look forward to our next update thank you Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.